Welcome to the Brainwave Podcast, presented by Windward Group Publishing and Media. I'm Gail Holnick, former radio show host turned novelist and travel book writer, and this is a show about creativity. Each week you'll hear interviews with people from many different creative fields, artists, designers, writers, filmmakers, chefs, architects, choreographers, composers. I'm interested in that charmed moment that leads to a work of art. Where did the idea come from? What did you do next? And what advice would you give others trying to unlock their own creative potential? Thanks for spending some time with me today. Please take a second to tap on the subscribe button on the app. And if you want the episode show notes, please go to windwardgroup.com. That's word with an O. Let's get started. My guest today is podcaster author Randy Lee Boslaw, the author of a children's book called Operation Deck the Halls. And she told me that she did the book with her son doing the illustrations. It's the story of a little girl who can't fall asleep and is worried that Santa won't come if she doesn't. With a little elf magic, anything is possible. And when I first contacted Randy, I was looking for a story of the inspiration for creating a Christmas story. By the way, she invited me to call her Randy rather than Randy Lee. It turned out that Operation Deck the Halls was only a very small glimpse of Randy's story. I wasn't expecting that morning to be in a conversation about autism, but thanks to Randy's openness, I learned a lot. She started by telling me that Operation Deck the Halls is not her first book. She also wrote a book about the challenges of raising a child with disabilities. Because it feels like you're totally alone going through everything, I wanted to write something to help other parents, not just moms, um, but other parents or even family members understand that they're not alone and that there are resources out there. So at the end of the book, we do list some of the resources. I say we because I actually had a co-author on that one. Um, My best friend, she shared her story of raising her son as well. Um, He's not on the spectrum, but he does have severe anxiety. And so we put some resources at the end. And then we even did some like worksheets at the end. Because when you go to doctor's appointments, they ask the same questions every time you go on to 10 different doctors. And they're asking you things that a typical parent wouldn't remember really um so we figured you know if I would have known how to keep track of this stuff back then it would have been really helpful so we figured we'll put that in for for all the other parents out there mm-hmm. and is this the same one as the one who did the illustrations for the Christmas book um no so it was my friend or do you mean the child yeah yes yes, yes. yes. okay and how old is he now? how old is he now he he is 14 now and he'll be 15 next month. Okay. And how old when the book was done? That book was 2018. So he was what 10 about, about 10, 10 when it so? came out. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it, okay. it starts right from when I was pregnant and goes all the way through to about mid-grade six. And then it published. So I'm actually working on a part two right now because we have to live through it first. Yes, of course, of course. Well, and when I think about and there's so many, you know, categories of fields that we could think about, say medicine or technology or all kinds of things that have changed so much in 15 years. Yeah. If you were going through this with him now, 
if he was a baby, a newborn or whatever, how has that world changed in terms of diagnosis, some understanding? I think the understanding has grown a lot. Um, and it's, the word easier is coming to mind, but that's not the right word. It's the, because the understanding has grown, there is an awareness now that we can look for. Um, but as a parent, I mean, it wasn't something that I was aware of back then because I had never actually known anybody who was on the spectrum. Um, it actually turns out I am. <laughs> I didn't find out that till like two months ago. Oh my. All makes sense now. Um, but, and that's just it. So if I would have even known that when I was little, then I would have seen it in, in my son as well. Cause and that's how I figured it out as I kept like, well, I do that and I do that. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, if we can have that more awareness of what actually is autism, because it's such a broad spectrum. Um, it goes from, you know, kids who are nonverbal, right. To kids who are seen as like a savant and things mm-hmm. and everything in between. And what we see on TV, what the media portrays is not the be all and end all of what autism is. Uh, and so that's interesting. So you're not saying that what's on TV and in, in the media and the movies and so forth is, is incorrect, but just that it's, it's limited. It's just, it's only one yeah. small part of the story. Exactly. The actual, the best show that I have seen on it um, is Atypical on Netflix. And that one to me has been the best portrayal because he's kind of, he, he's not totally nonverbal, but he's not that crazy savant. He's just like a typical kid. Well, teenager, really. He's just a typical teenager trying to work through high school, work through college. Um, so I think that that one to me is the most relatable, the most understandable one that kind of gives our middle ground. Mm-hmm. Have you told, what's your son's name, by the way? Levin. Levin. Have you told Levin about your own discovery about yourself in, two, in the past two months? Oh, you oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was actually him that said it to me. <laughs> oh, okay. I randomly walk around my house just breaking out into dance sometimes. Um, didn't know other people don't do that. I don't know. Um, so I came out in the living room and I just was randomly dancing. He goes, Mom, if I have autism, you have autism. No. <laughs> I'm like, maybe. <laughs> so then I had to do a little more research and talk to some doctors. And, yeah. And, 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 and do we know at this point, is it, uh, is it inherited? Is there, what, what's the cause and what is the connection between you feeling you have it or you having it and your son having it too? That's a great question. So people don't, science hasn't reached the point where they know what causes autism. All right. There is a correlation though, that if a sibling has it or like a parent that another person in the family does have it but it's not cause and effect right now. It's just correlation. So who knows? The science and the, or the research continues, I hope. Yeah. It, it would be it nice is. to have those questions, those answers to those questions. Do you, yeah. do you feel as well that, so, and, and then in the past two months, have you actually been diagnosed? Yes. Yeah. And now when you look back on your teenage years and the depression and writing the poetry, Everything does it all have a whole sense. new new light on it? It does, because a lot of that depression came from not feeling like I fit in and feeling like like not understanding why people are doing certain things or 
laughing at certain jokes or I, my husband always likes to say that I have no sense of humor. And it's simply because I just don't get the jokes that he's telling. (laughs) My favorite, my favorite jokes are like the dad jokes that are so based in logic. So my favorite joke is actually, why can't a T-Rex clap? Why can't a T-Rex clap? All right. Why can't it? Because it's dead. (laughs) And that's very logical. (laughs) It is. Those are my favorite kind of jokes. I totally understand those. Um, So I have a sense of humor. It's just different than other people's. Yes. And and there are many different kinds of senses of humor. Is there many different kinds? I think that's one of the things, one of the changes in 15 or 20 years that that we've, we've, as the human race, we've come to understand is that there are many differences and many different kinds of many different things. And just, I recall um, when my kids were going through school and all that, we were just coming to an understanding and so on, that there are many different kinds of learning. And, you know, compared to perhaps when you and I were were back in school and and we, you know, the ones who could sit the quietest were the ones who did the best sort of thing. Uh, And and people who could learn from print rather than auditory learning and so on did the best. And we've come a long way in understanding that there are many different ways to learn. Exactly. And that's how I describe autism, like for people who don't understand it, it's just we think differently. It's we're not stupid. We're just, we think differently. We view the world in a different way. We're the same as everybody else. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so you, you did the book about a mother's truth and your experiences of raising a, uh, a child on the spectrum or with autism. Would you, do we, what's the, I'm always trying to keep up and and I I do want to be sensitive to the terminology. I mean, do we describe that as a disability anymore? It really depends on who you ask. There's a pretty wide divide that I have found because I'm in a bunch of different groups for it um, and have been for a long time since my, my kid was diagnosed. And a lot of people will say it's you know, a person with autism or whatever their disability yes. is. Some people are okay with being said, I'm autistic. Me, I don't, I don't care personally. I will say I have autism or I'll say I'm autistic. It doesn't bother me in that way. Just like my husband who has diabetes, he'll say I'm diabetic. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the same for us, but some people are really offended by that. So the best thing to do is what you just did there is ask the person, how would you like me to refer to it? And all really, unless it's necessary, don't refer to it at all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Refer to me as Randy. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, but I am going to come back to it because it is one of the topics of this conversation. Um, It's also interesting that uh, as an offshoot in a way of your writing, you started a podcast called Write or Die. Uh, and that's a whole interesting thing because often, although I'm finding that this is one of those those myths that isn't true, but often authors and writers are introverted. And the idea of doing a podcast, of speaking out to the world in any way other than between the covers of a book and you don't actually have to watch anybody reading it, so you don't have to see their reactions or whatever. Yeah. I mean, podcasting is a little more out there. So how how do those things meld for you? It's so funny that you say that because there are certain things that I really struggled to actually verbalize. And I think it's more for me, it's like this anxiety that holds me back, this fear of what, how is the person going to perceive it? Especially since I know, and my whole life I've been told, you know, well, that wasn't very nice how you said it. And I'm thinking all I did was tell the truth. Like, I don't, 
I don't know how to sugarcoat things. So I just say it and I just say it bluntly. And I don't mean for it to come out in a mean way, but it's perceived that way. Um, But I've always been okay with kind of being the center of attention when it comes to performance. So I don't like being the center of attention, say, when I was in school, being in the hallway or being in a classroom or anything like that at a party. I don't want to be the center of attention. If I know, because I I used to say that I was going to be a famous actor when I grew up. So, you know, posting my own channel, that works. (laughs) (laughs) So in that way, and I used to do all the school plays. And like, if I used to write plays, so I would direct them, I would um, act in them, that kind of thing at my church. And that I like, because people are expecting what you're telling them to expect. You're saying, this is what the play is about. So that they know what to expect. And then you know that they're coming because they want to see it. Whereas when I'm in a group setting, I don't know what those people want to hear. I don't know how they're going to perceive what I'm about to say. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what you're saying is pretty true about like introverted, but at the same time, there's like this whole other section because it's a totally, to me, it's a totally different thing being in front of the camera and talking about a topic. Like for my show, it's like the write or die. So I'm interviewing authors and we're talking about mental health. People who watch the show, they know what they're going to get. So I know that if people are watching, that's what they're expecting. So it's okay. Yeah, I see. I understand. And we, and I, I should say as well, because my podcast is, is strictly uh, oral, strictly audio, uh, but I will describe you, which I don't do with all my guests, but you are um, uh, about as far from uh, being mousy or, or uh, the introverted look that I can think of. You have glasses that have red frames and you're wearing blue lipstick, which I, I think is great. By the way, what are your nails? They're also, uh, they're black right now. And they're black. So you, and my uh, hair is blue, not that you can see it. Oh, you can't really see it because it's in a top knot. But yeah, oh, no. so, you, so your hair is blue as well. And is that a way that you have been ever since being a teenager that you make your own choices I, when it comes to appearance? Yes. Yeah. I love um, kind of the crazy stuff. As a teenager, though, I, I went with the goth look a lot. Very dark, very black. Because um, going back to that introverted kind of thing is I didn't want to interact with other people by the time I hit like 16, because by then people were just mean. So I figured if I didn't look approachable, then they wouldn't approach me and it worked. So I was just known as like the goth kid. Cause I wear the black lipstick and black hair and all the black clothes and walk around all whatever. Um, totally mm-hmm. wasn't really me, but it was what I felt I needed to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. And were there any other goth kids in your school or around you? I don't, I can't recall any. Um, I'm sure there probably were, but I can't recall. Mm. Because sometimes, uh, you know, I I hear what you're saying about the reason for it and so on. But also sometimes the way we present ourselves or whatever, it can be almost like a call to others. You know, it's it's a, it's a communication, a way of saying, um, this is what I like to talk about and who I am and how I am. And how about you? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, because I wasn't doing it to get those other kind of like the other goths to make like a little group, like you're saying, um, I didn't really pay attention to whether or not there were, that's why I'm saying there probably was, but like after school on the weekends, whatever, I just dress kind of normal. Like I would 
hang out with, with a couple of friends that I had and we would just do like, like regular stuff. Mm, I see. I get, I get, I get a picture as well of, of how it was happening. So then, I mean, clearly you are and have been a creative person um, right from your con- first consciousness. Um, yep. What, what do you think uh, writing and doing books and doing the podcast um, have meant to you then? I mean, would it have been possible for you if you had no creative outlets? Oh, I'll, I'll be really dramatic here, whatever, but to survive. Um, I actually credit my writing to my survival, which is why I named the show Write or Die, because it was literally, if anybody has ever read my first book, which is called Thoughts of a Wanderer, um, those poems are dark, very dark. They were my way of getting out the pain that I was feeling inside. And instead of actually following through with some of those really dark thoughts, um, I would write about it. So there are poems about, and this might trigger people, but there are poems about suicide in there. There are poems about hurting myself. But by doing that, I didn't follow through with it. So you can, I like how dramatic you were because it really is that dramatic. Yeah, yeah. And how about now then? What's the what's the journey that you've done over those years? Uh, so I've really come to terms with who I am as a person. I found friends that accept me for all of my craziness <laughs> and my husband, we've been together now 14 years. So I found, I found my people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have to mask. I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not. Um, I've also kind of found my calling, I guess, like writing to me is what I was meant to do. I'm, I'm going to sound snobby for a minute I'm good at it Uh (laughs) I've got stories in me to tell and I'm pretty good at it um and so and I've been a social like in in social work before I was an employment counselor I went to college for corrections I took a lot of psychology courses and I really enjoy that stuff but doing it as a job and I did it for about six years it wasn't for me and it was really really hard to put on that mask every day. Cause when you're sitting in an office with somebody, you kind of got to dial down the eccentricities. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard for me. Like even talking to you right now, I'm, I'm bebopping. I'm all over the place. I don't sit still very well. That's I, I don't do that. Um, my husband actually, the one day, cause I'm always talking with my hands. He held my hands on the table, like not in a mean way, but he held my hands and he's like, now answer the question. And I'm like, I, I can't, I can't move my hands. I can't talk. (laughs) And so like, that's, that's just it. So being in that office environment, it wasn't that I couldn't do the job, but I couldn't keep up the charade of what was needed to be seen as an employment counselor. So writing has given me that opportunity to just be myself. Um, I've also, I've went to therapy for myself and learned quite a bit, learned some coping strategies, that kind of thing. And just talking to all of the different guests that I have on my show, sometimes I pick up stuff from them that I'm like, hmm, I'm going to try that. that. That sounds good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is that now is the show and the, po- uh, the show, the show, the podcast, um, is that mainly what you do now? And have you let the writing uh, and the bookmaking uh, go to the back burner a little bit? Or how do you balance Not those two? Not at all. Not at all. Um, one day I wish that I could put like more focus on my show, but 
you know, so everybody go subscribe so I can make money off it. <laughs> um, the, the show is something that I do because I enjoy doing it right now. I don't make any money off of it. So I need to still focus on writing because I can make some money off of that. And in this world of paying bills, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. important. Um, but my goal is to eventually be able to take that show to the next level. I will never give up writing. I absolutely love it. I have a list of books that need to be written. I have a big whiteboard. It has a whole list of books. Um, I'm halfway through another one right now. And I have two more on my mind that need to come out. So that will never end. Um, But I do want to put some focus on the show because I think it's so important to talk about mental health, talk about various disabilities so that we can bring awareness because nobody should be ashamed of who they are. Absolutely agree. Now, where do most of these ideas come from for all of this long list of projects on your whiteboard? Um, Random thoughts that pop into my head. Uh, So I've written three nonfiction books. So those are easy because it's just my life and having lived them. Uh, Like we talked about Operation Deck the Halls. Technically, it was from life. Uh, My second kid's book is about a cat. Um, and actually at the, the end page, you'll see real life pictures of the cartoon cat that you have followed throughout the day, because it is based on the cat that I had growing up. Um, she was my absolute favorite. I had her for 19 years mm, and wow. so, <laughs> yes, I still miss my baby because a diamond is a girl's best friend. That's my uh. last name. <laughs> um, and so sometimes just, just walking around, I'll have just an idea float in my head from just seeing something. So for instance, I just released my first fiction, which is a collection of short, scary stories. And one of the books is about, I don't want to give it away, but about trees in the forest and things. And I was walking my dogs one day and I saw this really cool looking tree that almost looked like the bark made a face. And I was like, that would make a story. And so I did. Ah, okay. Literally anywhere. Absolutely. Now, if you were, I'd like to wrap up the the podcast as as often as I can with this question to the guests. If you were to offer some advice, and I guess I'll go in two tracks on this because we have two tracks going here. First of all, to young writers or would-be authors, one or two pieces of advice that you would give, a suggestion you would make. Right? Like it doesn't matter who's going to read it. Um, And then rewrite it because editing is half the battle actually it's probably 90 percent of the battle uh-huh. yeah there's that old saying writing is rewriting isn't, yeah isn't exactly yeah and what about two parents parents of, of children on the spectrum love them even when they're having a meltdown don't be upset when they are upset because all that does is feed into the the hurt they don't understand Usually we don't understand when we're in the middle of a meltdown, why we are, something has triggered it and you just got to let it run its course. We'll love them no matter what. That's a lovely idea. And for all the rest of us too, Randy, I think, you know, you see sometimes in grocery stores and children are having meltdowns or whatever, and the, the judgmental looks on some of the faces of people around, it's not bad parenting, you know, it's, um, it, it's not. And, and to just not be so judgmental. Yes. Thank you again for doing this today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. 
Randy Lee's website is rbwriter.ca. Her podcast is Write or Die Show, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And her channel is on YouTube. It's Write or Die Show. And her name is spelled Randy Lee, R-A-N-D-I hyphen L-E-E, and Boslaw, B-O-W-S-L-A-U-G-H. The program that she recommended during the interview is Atypical. It's on Netflix. You're listening to the Brainwave Podcast, and I'm Gail Holnick. If you're getting a lot out of it, by the way, or have been enjoying it for some time, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash brainwavepodcast. Next time, my guest is Todd Killian, a podcaster who talks about Christmas in July and who is now heading into prime, beginning to look a lot like Christmas season. I'll leave you today with a quote about creativity from science fiction author Ursula Le Guin. The creative adult is the child who survived. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found it helpful. If you did, please mention it to a few friends or pass it along on social media and tag us if you do. And please tap the subscribe button on your podcast app and take a minute to leave a ranking or review. You might also like the backlist available at Windward Group Publishing and Media, and that's www.windwardgroup.com slash brainwavepodcast. And Windward is spelled W-I-N-D-W-O-R-D. You'll also find the show notes for today's episode there too. If you'd like to connect, you can find us on Facebook at Windward Group Publishing and Media, on Twitter at Windward Publish, and on Instagram at Windward PNM. I'm Gail Holnick. Please join us next time.